That's because you got to understand. This is what you're destined for. Everything that's going on right now, these are just obstacles. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all is going to put obstacles in your way to build character, to build you. You know what I'm saying? Don't let the obstacles confuse you. You know, just, you know, maneuver around these obstacles. I'm talking about it's so dope to find out what you're destined for. kids on up to adults. It's also a situation that us as minorities and just individuals in general don't want to speak about. And we don't want to speak about it because it's a sign of weakness to most. It's a sign of vulnerability. And it's something that's not normal, especially when you already have this idea of your character and the person that you're supposed to be. Today, I'm going to bring you a gentleman that's going to bring you firsthand experiences. And it's not about race, it's not about color, it's not about gender. What it's about is the common denominator that we share as individuals. It's about the relation that we share as individuals when it comes to these thoughts and these feelings of despair. So guys, stay tuned, and I'm going to bring you a, a good friend of mine, and we're going to speak on suicide. Welcome. <laughs> I know this wasn't part of the plan. We had different, you know, positions we were going to play today, but, you know, Shit and happens. Yeah, shit good. happens, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a blessing. You know, um, we have history together. We do have a some lot. history. Yeah, yeah. Not even some, a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of history together. And um, for you that don't know, this is my wonderful, creative, freaking dope-ass editor. Um, he's part of the, the real deal. Actually, he is the real deal. Um, me and this guy um, go back a while, and he has done amazing things as far as helping me with my dream and helping um, this become a reality, and he sees my vision. So, again, thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Chris. Yeah. Um, so how do we meet? Uh, I was your patient. <laughs> <laughs> first time, because it's been a few times, uh, first time was uh, February of 2019. February 2019. I remember when you yes. came in, yes. you looked scared. I was horrified. Yeah. I had never done something like that before. And when we say patient, um, Chris was a patient. I worked at a, at a mental health hospital, and he was a patient there. He came in um, searching and looking for help. Yeah. Um, so let's just quick talk about that experience, and then yeah. we'll go back to the drawing board where it all begins. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, coming into the mental hospital, what was in your mind? Um... I'm in a corner, and I don't know what to do or how to get out of it, but I need help. You need and help. I, I don't have the answers. And you're young. Yeah. I'm only 20. Only 20. <laughs> and at the time, I was 18. Yeah. That's crazy. But you made that conscious decision. I did. That you needed help, and you needed help because of why? Uh, about five months before that, I was raped in my apartment. Um didn't even remember it at first um but when i did i started developing ptsd had a lot of victim blaming thoughts i thought it was all my fault mm -hmm. reached a point where for a lot of reasons i felt like my life collapsed and because i was victim blaming it's like not only is it horrible but it's all my fault and now I feel horrible about myself and don't even want to live and when you say don't want to live because i know 
in my 39 years of experience, um, I've had moments of despair where I just wanted to give it up. Mm. And I was like, you know, this is just it for me. But I never actually didn't want to live. I just didn't want to deal. Like, I just wanted to, this is all over for me. But I know that I've never actually had that feeling of so despair that I don't want to live anymore. And that's something that people sometimes not understanding the process will take as a guilt trip or you want the easy way out or, you know, the cliches that we go through. But it's an actual feeling. It is. And it's an intense feeling. Um, So being in Haven and, you know, you're in a position where you're surrounded by people that have all different type of things going on in their life. And this Mm -hmm. is an inpatient process. This isn't you come visit and you go back home. You're here. You are in the hospital. You're living here. And you have to trust everybody else on the outside, inside, to have the answers for you. That's your first thought when you come in. I need answers. So what was your expectations? I didn't even have any. Um, It was obviously my first time, like, in, um, in, like, a psych hospital. But it was honestly also my first time being admitted into a hospital period. I haven't wow. had a lot of medical issues where I've I've never had a medical issue put me overnight in the hospital ever. So I was just like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to do. Just I know this is what you're supposed to do. So I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can only imagine because when I first met you, you looked terrified. I was absolutely terrified. Yeah. And I just wanted to hug you. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do was just hug you. Like, oh, my goodness, this baby. What is going on in life? And people have this stigma as well that you got to have a lot of experience in life in order to have that type of feeling. They don't comprehend the fact that these feelings are for any age, yeah. for any reason. And that's the relations that we have as young adults and as adults that emotions are for both of us. Yeah, They're for both of us and they put both of us in a position where sometimes we are lost. So... Let's talk about your experience there. What, did, what, what was your experience? What do you feel as though you gained from that experience? And what do you feel as though you could have used more of? Because, and the reason why we're doing it this way, people might think it's backwards, is because I need people to understand before they know that it was an issue, he did reach out for help. So he knows about the position of not getting what you want even though you try. And I need you to really understand that this is like a process and it's a lifelong process. This isn't for the moment process. So briefly, quick, if you can speak to me about your actual experience there for the first time and what did you gain and you know, those kind of things. Yeah. So really what I gained was um, realizing like it wasn't all my fault. what the guy did to me was his fault that was his conscious choice um doesn't matter the circumstances i could have been drunk i wasn't drunk i could have been whatever he did not have that right Mm -hmm. and so um i'm a very logical person like i'm a type a almost like i i always tell therapists like it's like there's formulas in my head that i don't even know exist but it just feels like the way that my mind works so that actually kind of helps because using logic doesn't matter what the circumstances were that guy made that choice you kind of plugged it into the formula it's not my fault mm-hmm. you, it doesn't matter what you what else you plug in it was his choice you cannot it cannot spit out an answer where it's my fault and like obviously that probably sounds like way easier said than done and sounds like well duh but when your emotions are so high 
you kind of can't see logic at times. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you, what you need is a place to break down, a place where several people who have never met you and don't know anything about the, um, the event that brought you in, when you tell them about it, if they're all drawing the same conclusion, then that kind of helps you talk back to your thoughts and talk back to your emotions and be like, well, if all these people are saying it's his fault or it's not my fault or that, you know. It helps the confirmation. Exactly. The confirmation, the confirmation and just a place sometimes you just got to let loose. And especially, like, for me, I didn't have a way to let loose at first. I didn't even have an outpatient therapist. Mm -hmm. So when this was happening, like, there was just a big buildup. And wow. It got to a point it was overwhelming, and then it was time to go to the hospital. Time to go to the hospital. Okay, so then now we're going to go to the real. The real. <laughs> to the real deal. <laughs> when you speak of the trauma that you had to experience, yeah. um, and again, anybody making somebody else do something against their will, there's no category. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. It's not, well, you did, and you are, and you can, and you didn't. It's wrong. Yeah. So... When you say that you were broke down to the point where you didn't want to be living anymore, you didn't want to be around anymore, explain that to me. Explain that to me internally and mentally. So it was like, going back to like what you said with like despair, it was basically despair to a point where I actually did want to keep going, but I felt so overwhelmed, I felt like I can't. And if I can't do it, then I don't want to try anymore. So it was like, and I guess everyone's experience is different. Some people may like fully just be like, no, like fuck this, fuck the world, fuck life. I don't want to live. I was more, God, I so want to live, mm -hmm. but I'm so overwhelmed. I believe this is all my fault. So it is all my fault. All this terrible, all these terrible things are going on. You know, the actions of one night, like completely destroyed my life. Man, I don't want to, like, I, I'm so overwhelmed. And I'm so guilty and mm -hmm. so shameful that I can't do it. And that's one of the traits when it comes to suicide, self-blame. Yep. Self-blame. No matter how you flip it or what the situation is, you cannot see nothing but it's my fault. Yep. And how does that play a position in confirming that you shouldn't be here anymore? When you self-blame yourself, what type of impact are you putting more on yourself? Not understanding that it's not to confirm the fact that you don't want to be here anymore. Can you say that again? Because I'm trying to make sure that I understand that properly. <laughs> when you, when you self-blame, yeah. it coinherces with the decision. So I got self-blame, and I don't want to be here no more. Yeah. And because I'm self-blaming myself, that just confirms that I shouldn't oh, exactly. be here yeah. anymore. You know, how, how important is it for you to first understand that it's not? And, and if you don't, how tough is the impact of getting out of that process of not wanting to live no more? It's basically all or nothing it's that important you have to realize that because otherwise it's like you said it's going to just feed into that and I'm not saying that to agree with you I'm saying because that's what I lived mm -hmm. um, you have to understand things aren't your fault otherwise you're going to keep going on you're going to keep blaming yourself and at the end of the day all we have is ourselves so if you hate yourself and you're so angry at yourself and you have no one there for you because you, you are you 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 are all, you are all you have, and if you hate what you have, then it doesn't matter who you are, how strong you are. You're going to reach a point where you're suicidal. You're going to reach a point where you're like, no, fuck this, fuck me, I I'm done. So you have to. As far as how hard it is, my opinion, I think it's how quickly you get help. 
I think the, the quicker you're able to ask for help, the quicker you're able to kind of get an intervention, the faster you'll get out of it. It's like you're digging the hole deeper by waiting longer. And in waiting longer, that kind of sounds like you're blaming the person. You might not remember. Like, I didn't remember at first. I didn't have an outpatient therapist. I didn't even have anyone to turn to. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I had no idea that I was going to reach a point where I was suicidal. So I don't want to say it like, if you don't reach out, it's all your fault. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you, you're not even enabled to do that, or you don't even know you need to. Exactly. But exactly. I will say the quicker you can kind of intervene, the quicker in my opinion and experience because I've had other crises you can get out of it do you think that being in that position and and because it's, it, there's a root you yeah. know we all know that suicidal thoughts is an action it's an emotion yeah. it's not a, a mental illness it's a reaction to a mental illness yeah which is either sometimes depression PTSD it could be a number of different things why your emotion is a suicidal emotion um, but like you said, if you don't, if you're not aware and you can't acknowledge, then how can you even begin? And a lot of the process starts with acknowledging and admitting, yeah. and that's a process by itself. It is. And how hard is that? How hard was that? Were you, when you acknowledged and started admitting to yourself, how hard was it for you to get to the point where you said, okay, now I know, now I have to fix, because it's again a process. You didn't know at first. Then once you found out, you started accumulating all these different emotions. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. it got to the point where you said, okay, I need help. Yeah. And I need people to understand that it's, it's a process that's okay. And it's a process that's necessary. You can't skip steps. Yeah. Because when you skip steps, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> I didn't get to the root of the problem. I may not feel like I want to kill myself no more, but I didn't get to the root of the problem. So that emotion is going to come back. Yeah. It can come back. And in your experience... Even though you went to the mental hospital the first time and you did try to get help, have you experienced them same exact feelings since then? Yeah, I have. I have. And as far as like how long it takes to acknowledge, I mean, for me, the first time it took an entire week of like suffering every day, not knowing how I'm going to get through the next five minutes before I finally was like, all right, I got to go. I don't know what to do anymore. And it's hard. It was very hard for me because I'm a very independent person. I'm used to, I'm used to people actually relying on me. Mm-hmm. I'm used to people, you know, people tell me all the time, you're my voice of reason, or uh, whether it's school or work, like people usually come to me, like I lead things, or even in like my friend group, if I like, if we're hanging out, everyone always asks me like, what's the plan? Like, what are we doing? I'm used to being the leader. I'm used to always having the answers. Mm-hmm. I'm used to, I can do it all by myself. You know, I can wake up today. I don't know what I'm doing today, but I'll make a plan and I'll have a great day, you know. So it was very hard to realize, like, this time I don't. This time I can't pull myself out. This time I don't, I don't even know what I don't know. All I know is my emotions are so high. Um, my thoughts are going against me. Like I said, like, I actually wanted to keep going, but I felt so overwhelmed that I felt like I couldn't. And so it was like, I hate having to ask for help. I hate mm-hmm. having to surrender my freedom because an inpatient you have nothing you, yeah. you can even have a spoon mm-hmm. you can have a fucking spoon <laughs> <laughs> but it got to a point where I was like it's this or nothing and the, at the deepest part of me like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent because that's all that was left mm-hmm. I was like I'll be damned if I let this kill me so it's time to go it's time to go so what has that 
how has that, because like you said, you've always been the one that can figure it out and have the answers, and that comes with confidence. And then once you're admitting and you're in a position where you're vulnerable and you're naked, everything is naked. Yep. What has that done for your confidence afterwards? At first, I felt so ashamed. At first, like it was a big blow. I'd actually, right before I landed in inpatient, I had done two weeks of a partial hospitalization program where you are there for like eight hours. And I'd never even done that before. Mm-hmm. And so I felt so ashamed because I actually walked out of that program like feeling great. And then I got triggered after I left. And so it was kind of like another thing where I felt like I failed. Not in addition to everything that happens like with my assault and the aftermath. Now I felt like, Jesus Christ, I did two weeks. I did two full weeks two of full intense weeks. treatment. And now I'm suicidal. And I wasn't even suicidal when I walked in before those first two weeks. Wow. So now, at first, like, it destroyed my confidence. I was like, wow, like, I really don't have the answers. I, like, I really, I'm not as smart as um, I think I am. I'm not as, you know, whatever. And then I also learned, you know, that's not true either, that there's a lot of different types of intelligence. And one of my weaknesses is emotional intelligence because of a lot of different stuff. But so I learned to give myself a break. Now I'm back to, you know, don't talk to me that way. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I won't let anyone like, I'm, I'm confident again. And you said something that I'm glad that you said it when you spoke about your um, emotional confidence and yeah. that is stemming from other things. Yeah. Because a lot of times, even though you have an actual trauma that has taken place, the way we react to that trauma stems from previous yeah. interactions with family, interaction with people, just in general interaction. It all plays a part because there could be people that have gone through the same trauma that you went to and they might have been able to snap back a little bit different. Yep. Right? Yeah. So everybody has to understand that when it comes to this, it's deeper than trauma and my reaction. It's what did I embrace before that? What was going on in my life before that? Did I get that emotional connection with certain people where I can be able to know that it's not my fault and do something about it and it not be a prolonged process? It all plays a part in that. And a lot of times when you go through trauma, it brings up old trauma. And it can create new trauma. Let's talk about creating new trauma. <laughs> new Creating new trauma. All right. All right, new trauma. Um... Because I know, with my experience and interaction with you, I know a big thing that was difficult was for you to actually believe that it was not your fault. Because it wasn't the first time that you came in that you actually believed that. You dealt with that for a very, very long time, accepting the fact that it's not your fault. How does that happen? How is it hard for me to accept that I didn't do nothing wrong for you to hurt me? And now the outside looking in, they would think, well, you know you didn't do nothing wrong, but they don't understand that part about it. Because in some type of way, shape, or form, you're trying to validate your trauma. You're trying to really, in actuality, find a reason why this happened. And usually yeah. the only conclusion we as humans come up with is it being our fault. Yeah. So your trauma after that was, okay, I went through this experience. I have these emotions. I'm going to get help. And now after this, because I have other tools of exposing the truth, now it's continuously playing in my head, and now I have another traumatic situation where I'm trying to make sure that I know it's not my fault. 
Because it's almost like you were kind of trying to convince yourself. Because one minute you would get it, the next minute you're like. Yeah, it's it's a you have to like continuously do it over and over. It's a process, honestly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else. To, it's kind of just that straightforward. You sometimes you, it's some it's practice. Mm-hmm. It's that's a big misconception actually. Is that like if you learn something healthy, you learn healthy coping thought, or learn that something's not your fault. That like the first time you get it, like you're fine. It's it's just like riding a bike, learning how to drive. You can you know make that turn properly the first time. It doesn't mean you're gonna do it the second time. You have to try the second time. You can't just you know assume that you've got it. And it's the same thing with coping thoughts and realizing things that aren't your fault that aren't actually your fault. You you kind of have to practice. And so sometimes you do kind of flip flop. And I flip flop mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference between your flip flops today and your flip flops uh, back then are what? less so there's way less flip-flops now and even like when I do flip-flop it's easier to pull out because I remember how many people say it wasn't my fault I remember I go through my own logic and I'm like Mm -hmm. no like he touched me he did this Mm -hmm. I didn't do that you know it goes back to like your emotions versus logic a lot of the times and I think it's just a matter of practice makes perfect I think it's just a matter of the more you effort you put into turning your mind, even if that's how you feel, turning back to logic, even if you don't feel it, like believe in it right away, just going over it with yourself over and over again and, you know, thinking of it as if it's someone else. That's a big thing that kind of helps me with my flip-flops. If someone else, doesn't matter who, doesn't even have to be a friend. It could be someone that I have no bias for or against. Mm-hmm. If my exact situation was their situation, what conclusion would I draw? It's always, it's not your fault. It could be someone I hate. I would still say, no, that guy did what he did. That's kind of how I get out of my flip-flops, and that's why I have less to begin with anyways. Now, when it comes to the triggers... Triggers. The, the triggers. Best the best the and triggers. worst part. <laughs> Let me know about some of your triggers. Um... Anniversary date is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, the anniversary of my assault, I don't like that day at all. What do you um, do when that day comes? How are you able to get through that day? Because I you're triggered. I just distract as much as possible. I just try and treat it like any other day. Uh, in my you know, in my life, I work full-time. I do school. I just try and make sure I'm doing something for that that day. And that I'm just, no, today's September 30th. It's just a day. It's just a day. It's just another day. Tomorrow's And that's hard to do. And that's hard to do. And, you know, some people in my audience might not, you know, really understand this process. But I know a lot of you will understand this process because nobody wants to feel. Nobody wants to feel like they've done something wrong or they shouldn't be alive. Nobody wants to feel that way. But sometimes we get so consumed in life that either we normalize that feeling Mm -hmm. and try to overlook it or... We self-indulge in that feeling. Yeah. And self-indulge, when I say that, I mean that to the depths of it. We self-indulge to the point where we take steps to make that happen and not be alive no more. We take steps to try to make ourselves stay confined in these emotions. And people have to understand that it's work, right? It's work. Because I know a lot of people, when they first come to certain places like mental facilities or therapists, they're expecting me to have the answer. And they don't understand that I will never 
they will never have the answer for you. You they can give out. you tools exactly they give you tools and they can whatever the case may be yeah. but they cannot do your job and that's that's the irony of it is like if someone were to tell me even back when I first landed you know in inpatient if someone were to tell me it's all your fault like it actually yeah that is your fault like I would have punched them mm-hmm. I'm like no the fuck it's not yeah, like, who yeah. the fuck do you think you are <laughs> 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 so yeah it is it is a matter of like them kind of pulling out of you what you most of the time you already know and that's your word that I'm using <laughs> but it is it, it really is um and actually it's interesting that we keep talking about like victim blaming because the more like I've learned and it's actually a way to try and protect yourself mm. because if something bad happens then it's well if it's my fault then I can just fix myself and then nothing bad will ever happen to me ever again. Wow. Versus it being their fault. Yeah, because one gives you a sense of calm, like I'm in control of my life, nothing bad is ever going to happen ever again. Whereas the other is is accepting that bad things happen sometimes and they can happen in the future and you don't want to admit that something bad might happen. Mm. So you'd rather blame yourself because then you think you can fix yourself that's like the hidden thought though because more often than not when you blame yourself then you just get suicidal but what's actually going on is you want to feel fully in control of your life of what's going on and you, you just can't and that's that's, ma- that's something you have to accept that that's you can't you can do your best of course but you can't you know something bad could happen to you right now and do you think that you know when it comes to something bad happening because we all do it mm-hmm. we we sit there and we say why me Yep. Why me? And instead of saying or understanding that bad things happen to everybody, and there is a reason why, and it sounds cliche, and it sounds corny, and it sounds like, what the fuck? What do you mean? What? But there is. And have you noticed that even though this traumatic thing has taken place in your life and it's taken you through so many different chain of events and so many different emotional roller coasters, do you feel like you're starting to understand that even though something very traumatic and fucked up has happened, something beautiful got pulled out of it? Yeah, I do. Talk to me about that. Just the amount of love, honestly, on the other side of it. Love from other people. Um, I hate admitting this because I think it's disgusting, but like, for example, I could walk up to you, not know anything about you, and I could tell you, and I could say to you, Tell me about the time where you put your shirt on backwards, didn't realize it, walked out in public, and someone had to point it out to you. Mm. Everyone's been through that. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, <laughs> where you live, any demographical information about you, it doesn't matter. You've done that. When I say I've been raped, eight out of ten people are like, me too. Mm. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me that just like I could walk up to a stranger and say, tell me about the time you put your shirt on backwards and didn't realize it. I could say that, and 8 out of 10 strangers, I could say, tell me about your rape, and 8 out of 10 strangers could be like, oh, it was this, 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 Mm. this. It's disgusting. But on the other side of that, the amount of love that you get, the amount of, you know, there's so many people that have gone through it. And you don't want it to be where you want somebody to experience what you experience. You don't want that film to be on nobody else. But in a sense, it almost feels good that somebody else did experience it because you're not alone. Exactly. And that helps the process of you accepting that it's not your fault. Yeah. 
shit really does fucking happen. It does. It really happens. And it is about the, the act that takes place, but it's more so about what are you going to do after that? Because you got a gift out of that, believe it or not. You got a gift to be able to save somebody's life. <laughs> yeah. Because you know those feelings of despair. I always used to say, in order for me to be able to feel comfortable with somebody, there got to be something familiar about you. You don't trust everybody with your story just because. There got to be something that you can give me. We go to doctors because they're doctors who don't trust doctors, right? Yep. We go to therapists because they're therapists. The world and society said they can be trusted. They have the answer. But we very seldom trust come to ourselves yep. and say, what can I do? And a lot of times that's because we don't even have the answer to that. And that does play what does play a part in that is ethnicity and environmental circumstances and your habitat all those things do play a part in that but as individuals no matter where you're at you still need to trust yourself yeah. and trust that who knows you better than you yeah we spent time together in the hospital I know some embarrassing moments I know some not good moments I've seen you cry I've seen you smile and make the whole room happy Right? Yeah. But you know inside. I'll never know that. You know what you need. You know what makes you happy. I'll never know that. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be you doing it on your own, but let's do it together. Yep. And a lot of people are sometimes comfortable with those feelings. Sometimes they're comfortable with feeling lost and feeling like they don't have the answer. Because a lot of times that's where that attention comes. I don't know the answer and I tell people I need help and I'm hurt and I've been through all these different things this is how I'm going to get my attention and not saying that that's a bad thing but that is a thing and it shouldn't be a thing but again it goes back all the way to the root okay so suicide is very real and it's a line and it's a disease and it's an infection that we have to try to cure suicidal ideations and suicidal thoughts even though they're different, they're very much the same. And and we need to figure a way out to reach the people that don't have that outlet, that don't see hope. Because that's, hopelessness is, is a feeling of, it doesn't really matter what everybody else says, because I've convinced myself already. And we need to figure a way to convince people of different ways, because there are different ways. And you're not gonna get it the first time. Nine times out of 10, you're not. You might not even get it the second or third, but you will get it as long as you continue to keep fighting. And it's still a battle for you, but it's a battle that you're more prepared for. More prepared for it's still a battle, but it's way easier. It's way easier. There's a lot of people, especially in the, in the inner city community, that you know they have already normalized the feeling of despair and the feeling of hopelessness. You know that's the norm for us. That's the norm for us as individuals, and it shouldn't be. And we need to change that because it's not normal. It's not. It's not normal to have these feelings, and and everybody is worth an enjoyable life. Yeah. But it's what you make it. Yeah. It's what you make it. And what do you do with what you have? That's the whole key to what do I do with what I have? Do I want to sit here and continue to feel these different feelings, or do I want to try my hardest to do something about it? And that's strength and courage. Everything is a process, but the process has to start within ourselves thank you so much thank you so thank much you. <laughs> thank you so much again this wasn't supposed to be turned out this way but 
it turned out this way for a reason. I thank you so much for trusting me with your story. You have been an influence in my life. And that's why I say that, you know, there's a, there's a big gift that has come out of all of it because I don't have the answers. And granted, I may not have had your experience, but the emotions, and it helps. We help as individuals maintain that. We help as individuals try to find a way to feel better. And that's what it's all about. That's about feeling better. It is. He's the license. This is how you reach out. And I can say, even like from the young perspective, you know, when you're on Facebook or Instagram, the what everyone likes to share as far as like memes or shit posts, it's always about something going wrong. This is what's wrong. My life is a mess. It becomes trendy. Yeah. But it's it's not. It's you not. Don't, you don't want to feel that way. You don't want to get to a point where that's what you actually believe. And I think too, as parents. Um, we need to understand that it doesn't just start with adults. Life doesn't just start as an adult. It starts when you're conceived, when you're born. And we need to understand that we need to learn how to acknowledge our children as well. Because I think that they kind of have it a lot worse nowadays than what we do as adults. Because we didn't experience hard life. You know, there's a lot of different more obstacles for children these days. And it's very real. It's very real. We need to take that responsibility because it's up to us as parents to try our hardest to make the setting as comfortable as possible. So that either they don't feel that way at the moment or they don't grow up as an adult feeling like that. Guys, mental health is self-care. You have to take care of yourself. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Real Deal. Love, peace, and all that good shit. There are ways out there to reach out. The National Prevention Suicide Hotline is there for the taking for everybody. Family, if you notice a loved one that who is experiencing these things and you may not be able to pinpoint it exactly, reach out. Take that step to find out because it's not always easy for a person to talk. They need us just as much as we need them and it's a, it's a unity thing. Thank you for joining guys. God bless.